You are listening to the Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Dan Cushell. Dan is a husband, dad, serial entrepreneur, and angel investor. He helps founders and CEOs just like you connect the dots, see the blind spots, and get unstuck by helping get more clients and grow three to 10 times with less stress using direct response branding so that you can have a bigger impact, reach, and contribution. With over 25 years now of business experience, he started 11 plus companies, coached over 5,000 founders and CEOs from over 180 niche industries, 11 countries, and been a secret weapon for clients like Dean Graziosi, Joe Polish, the founder of ESPN, Daniel Marcos, so many people that you guys would recognize if I kept just going down this list of uh, of people that he's worked with in a private setting. So excited to bring Dan on the show today and chat a little bit about uh, offer creation and uh, and marketing and messaging and all that kind of good stuff. So Dan, what's up, man? Thanks for joining me on the show. It's uh, it's awesome to be here, Travis. Thank you. So let's uh, go ahead and dive in, man. Let's build a little bit of context first for everybody listening. Tell us a little bit uh, about growing up, what it was like to be Dan, and then we'll jump into a little bit more tactical, practical things along the way. Sure. Uh, you know, quick version of growing up, me and Dan was I grew up in the inner city of Detroit, and you know it was uh, you know kind of feast or famine in a lot of ways, survival of the fittest, if you will, yeah. uh, in a lot of ways. And my dad worked for the biggest automaker in the country at the time. And he was, you know, he's a line worker. My mom didn't really work because of some health challenges. And we always struggled with money. And, it, you know, he was on again, off again, on again, off again, off. I, I watched him, Travis, get laid off about, I don't know, 15, 20 different times, it seemed like. Wow. And, you know, then they, they had what was called changeover in the, in the manufacturing business where, you know, basically there'd be months off. And then there were times, you know, multiple times we were on welfare. And I remember being a kid, I remember being as early as like 10 years old going, I'm never going to do this. Like I'm not ever going to, you know, tie myself to a big company because look at the, what it's gotten us, instability and secure, all these sorts of things. And at an early age, on top of that, thankfully, my dad was someone who went for personal development. And he took me to my first personal development seminar, which happened to be for sports. So my dream as a kid was actually to play pro baseball because I figured that if I played pro baseball and had big enough contracts that I'd be able to take care of my family. Yeah. And he took me to a, you know, I was the only kid in this clinic that he took me to that was really geared for, you know, coaches. And then there was me. But I sat in this clinic in Ypsilanti, Michigan, that my dad took me to, uh, Travis, and I was just blown away by what they taught. And I can remember it like yesterday. I still actually have the manual from that clinic all those years ago in Eastern Michigan. And one of the pages that jumped out at me was to be successful in baseball and in life requires a PMA. A PMA is, and your success is 90% mental, the rest physical. 
And PMA stands, of course, for positive mental attitude. Mm. And that struck a chord with me, right? And was like a foundation builder for, you know, all the years that I think to come. And my dad was always in, inspiring me, Travis, where, you know, he was getting me bibliographies. You know, he knew I loved the game and he figured by fueling my love for the game and reading these or biographies or bibliographies of these, you know, exceptional players like Mickey Mantle and Pete Rose and Willie Mays. And, you know, so the list goes on. I probably read, I don't know, 10, 12 of them by the time I was in high school. And I started to notice there were a lot of characteristics they taught about, taught in, in these books yeah. that made a big difference. And yeah. so, you know, I just took the sports and I believe that sports and business are the two greatest personal development platforms in the world for any of us, mm. right? If we're willing to play the game and especially play the long game, because there's just so many similarities between the two of like learning how to deal with failure, like in baseball, uh, which was, you know, my number one sport. And I played basketball and football too, through all the way through high school, but that sport you fail, you know, historically seven out of 10 times. If you're good. <laughs> if you're good, like, yeah. and, and, or some would consider great, right? right in high school, right. it's more like probably more like six out of 10 times you fail, right? But the bottom line is, is that you got to learn how to, and I think for me, that was like a catalyst to prepare me for business because you're going to fail more than you succeed. Whereas a lot of people attached to failure yeah. in sports, you learn how to deal with failure and keep moving and get it off, you know, like water off a duck's back. Sure. Anyway, so yeah. that, that was some of the critical pieces. Coming out of high school, then what were the plans? I mean, uh, still to go after playing pro ball. Uh, you know, I was a highly recruited uh, player uh, in high school. And then my senior year, I was on draft boards. I was being recruited by places like Arizona, Clemson, a lot of Division One schools in the Midwest. Um, and I had a shoulder injury where I tore my rotator cuff. And this is back in the uh, mid-80s before it became almost like outpatient surgery. And they actually can build you faster, bigger, stronger, like the million-dollar arm million dollar man. Uh, back then it was very different. And I tore my rotator cuff in, in a game where I went on a play cock back. I felt it pop. And then I threw and I felt it pop both sides. And then I, because I didn't want to have, so I knew what that meant. And I remember the day I did it, I, there were probably 10 scouts at our game, a handful of major league scouts and several college uh, recruiters. And I, me- I remember it vividly and I didn't want to come out of the game because I knew what it would mean at that time. Basically, you're getting written off the list, right? The A-list. Mm-hmm. And uh, here I was, I'm a, I'm a 17-year-old kid trying to navigate like what to do in this situation. And then I made it even worse. It got really worse. The reason was, is I kept trying to play through mm-hmm. the pain and I kept damaging it even more. And yeah. then you know, I started taking Motrin for an extended period of time to deal with the pain, but yet you know, wasn't solving the, the issue until I was able to finally rest it almost like nine months later. So long and the short, I got most of my offers taken away or you know, they pulled them back because of the arm injury and they wanted to see. So they wanted me to come in as like a red shirt kind of thing, which I wasn't. And it left me to two remaining scholarship. I had a, a division one offer at a school called University of Detroit. And then I had another one uh, at a, a school, an NAI school, which was the only small school recruiting me because all the small schools backed off of me because they they kind of knew I was either getting drafted or I was going to go D1. So this other school that just kind of popped up uh, called Aquinas College in Grand Rapids, Michigan, they made me an offer, uh, Travis. And I ended up because I wanted to get away from home. I was one of those kids. I didn't want to stay home. I wanted to get away. And you know, at yeah. least it was four hours away, whereas University of Detroit was kind of in my backyard. So, uh, so I ended up going to Aquinas 
spent two years. I had another couple injuries and I started to then see, and I played all four years. I ended up at Wayne State University, which is also in Detroit, ended up using the experience to be the catalyst. And then in 1992, which was my senior year of college, I stopped going to school and I started my first company. So, you know, that Wait, was... So you, a, so you didn't graduate? I did not. So stop senior year because you were like, I'm doing this thing now. Well, I finished playing my senior year of college baseball, but didn't finish to graduate. So you were in college to play baseball. Yeah. Yeah. What was the business? So my first company, while I was in college in the summers, my, my sister got me a position at a direct mail direct response marketing company. So this okay. is in the, also in the mid 80s. So I'm you know 16 and I worked in this company for like three years during the summers and off times, which, oh my God, I fell so in love, uh, Travis, with the psychology of marketing mm. and selling. So, you know, it, you know, like we, I learned how to basically write copy for direct mail. I learned how to script radio ads, short version, longer. I, I learned how to script TV ads, short oh. and long. I learned about media buying. I learned about list buying. Like literally, I got to be involved in over the course of that three years in every department in the business, including a gentleman named Marshall who took me under his wing and taught me like behind the scenes of matching lists with the copy, right? And that experience, and I came out of that, Travis, and I was like, I think I can do this better than the company I've been working with. So I created what I felt was a better mousetrap. And so if you were a health club owner, I guess it was in the health club industry. So if you were a health club owner, Travis, I'd come to you and I'd go, Hey, Travis, if we could show you a way that we could help you add a couple hundred clients in your business in the next 90 days or less, and it won't cost you anything upfront. My company will run TV ads for you, radio ads for you and direct mail for you on our dime. And then once we profit, then we'll split the profits. Are you open to that for us to help your club? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> seven out of 10 would say yes. Then what we would do is deeper dive research into their market, right? So seven out of 10 would say, yes, we do the deeper dive. We'd narrow that down usually to the three or four of the seven. And then we'd pre- present our performer. And then we would choose one to three of those clients to be able to work with, right? And it was fascinating. And quite frankly, our first six months in business, we did over seven figures. We were a million dollar business pretty quick. Wow. We added something. There were competitors, by the way, doing this sort of thing. But I also was like, okay, how do I make this unique? Right. So as an old adage, you know, uh, you can teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. If you feed a man to fish, you only feed him for a minute or feed him for a day. Right. Right. So a lot of our competition were kind of doing that, you know, won't cost you anything, direct mail, TV, radio, a lot of competition for that. But the thing that made us different, and even we even said it almost like I did here, well, you can go with one of those companies, but when you're done, what do you got? You're left where they know the marketing, you don't. Well, what if we could teach you to fish and feed you the fish all at the same time? And the way we did that, I found a guy to this day, I still, Travis, don't even remember, you know, serendipity or whatever you want to call these sorts of things. I found a programmer who had cashed in his stock at Apple at the time. So again, now this is 1992. Yeah. And and if you go do research, uh, as you're listening or watching right now, you research (laughs) Apple and what was going on in history in Apple at that time, it was uncertain. So this programmer, his name was Cyrus Azari, never forget it. Don't ask me how to spell it. I have no idea how you spell his name at this point. I don't recall how I even got connected to him, but he had cashed in his stock at Apple. I hired him as a programmer to write an assessment for us on influence and selling because it was also my belief and still is my belief today that everyone in every business is part of selling or the unselling or sales prevention. Mm. And wouldn't it be great if you're the owner of the company, have everybody on the same page to boost their level of influence and persuasion and selling in your business? Almost everybody would say yes to that, I think, 
Yeah. And we had an assessment that evaluated like seven to eight different categories of influence and selling that every staff member, when we would come in at the time, it was a power book because this was not internet based back then. We had a power book that was the central system. They'd go through that assessment and it would show a before picture of like where they were strong and where they were weak in these seven, eight different categories. Then while we were there for the couple of months, Travis, what we would do is on top of what we did with marketing, we taught their staff and basically did a sales training process. Mm-hmm. Right. And we, so we taught them and walked them through. And then at the end of our time together, we would do a after version of that assessment that now showed how they had improved. So now we had a chart to show the improvements all of their staff had made internally, right? Mm. So it was this kind of really strong bookended situation. And then on top of that, we built in profit center, another profit center into the club, which was nutrition. Cause a lot of clubs at that time didn't have like fancy bars and cafes like they do now. We literally, in most cases, because we worked with independent clubs, we weren't working with franchises. We weren't working with clubs. These were mom and pop operations. Sure. Yeah. A lot of them had no real understanding of how to run a business or the profit. So nutrition products at the time was just really kind. So I started a nutrition company that we parlayed this into Mm. to then set up our nutrition stuff so that they would buy products from us all the time, right? Tens of thousands of dollars a month. And we'd have a doctor fly in who would come in and do a presentation. And we'd get three, 400 people in the club seeing this presentation live. They had to do the present. We'd sell tens of thousands of dollars in product just like that. And now we had a recurring continuity model. And here's what I learned. On the selling and marketing side, we were really pretty darn good out. So what I found out, Travis, is that you know although we were pretty good at marketing and selling, what I realized about myself, Travis, is I was not good at operating and, and running a business, mm. right? And what ended up happening is I went into business with a friend and that friend ended up emptying our bank account and vanishing. So I had to start over. I was on the verge of bankruptcy uh, at this, you know, because of this. It put me in a, just a really you know, kind of behind the eight ball after so much good momentum. And I started investing a lot into the business, Yeah, but I wasn't protected. I didn't understand the operation side, really what was he, what was going on underneath the hood. And I ended up having to regroup and it took a couple of years before I was able to regroup and start the next business. So, wow. uh, yeah. So a lot of lessons there for sure. No kidding. And so you're 21, 22 at the time, 22 at the time when I started. Yeah. 1992. So 22 years old in 1992 and first business you start seven figure business. Uh, where do you, where do you go from there? Like to to be that type of success at that young of an age, especially back, you know, almost thirty years ago. Well, actually, it is thirty years ago now. When when that happened, I mean, that's you know that same dollar amount is was worth a lot more back then than it is now. And so, going from that business, learning that big lesson, where do you go next? Is my question. But I also want to ask you what you did about the operational blind spot, but maybe weakness of yours. Was that something that you, after that initial experience, is that something that you were like, I'm going to go learn this? Or did you say, I just need to find a better partner? Uh, what what happened with that? And then uh, and then after you answer that, tell us what you did next. Yeah. Well, I'd love to say that quickly I like discovered the golden secret. But frankly, it was the opposite. It probably took me another five years-ish to kind of get it and realize my blind spots. I guess I'm stubborn. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, you know. I think uh, Dan Sullivan of Strategic Coach calls it extreme market research. For some reason, I felt like I needed extreme market research called failure uh, <laughs> and repeating the same mistake over and over and over again, literally for almost another three, four, five years. And then it wasn't until I really kind of looked in the mirror and realized, oh, 
this is not what you're good at. Do what you're good at and find other supporting people who are better at that than you. Sounds simple, but like it took me forever and a day to figure in my heart and mind. And once I did, things started to shift. And one of the things, you know, as I look back, Travis, that was almost, it was an accident is I actually started doing a lot of journaling at this time. And I started just like documenting what I was, was doing in the business. Right. Mm -hmm. And I also sought advice from other experts. So I became essentially what would some would call seminar junkie fanatical. Even I was going and attending approximately two seminars every month for the next five years because I didn't want to repeat the same mistakes and I constantly wanted to up-level my game. Yeah. So I was traveling all over the country, uh, doing all this sort of stuff. And that, and what became like now fast forward, cause I crashed, you know, that bit, I, I call the first one, I crashed the business, right. Because of the you know, mistakes I made essentially, and not knowing my blind spots and operations. And then I repeated a few more times, like three or four companies before I got yeah, it was probably about 1994, so 1997-ish, no, right? That I finally felt like I got my footing. So I started tracking what I was doing, like journaling, like what is, what's working, what's not, what's working, what's not. What did I learn, right? What could I do better? Like yeah. I was kind of doing that rep- rep- repetitively every day uh, around this time, and then really got more involved in gratitude. The exercise of gratitude. I don't want to sound foo-fooish here, but that combination of journaling those things each day and gratitude daily, and sometimes twice a day, because again, I did not want to continue the pattern. I wanted to break it. Yeah. And that process somehow unfolded. And I remember I ended up in, in Clearwater, Florida, working with a mentor named Lori at the time in this, you know, in our direct sales company. And, you know, I swear I was the same person when I got there, but when I got there, although I felt like I was just sharing the same info, I don't know, the universe, spiritual, whatever the case might be, things started to really click. Mm. And I started building up a lot of momentum. And thankfully, I was tracking this stuff of what was working and what was what not. And ultimately, it became the foundation of my first book called The Champion in the Making, which then led to me starting a radio show on NBC Radio in Phoenix, which then we expanded it, syndicated it in a lot of places all over the country, almost like a, you know, think of it as an infomercial, but from an educational point of view. Mm. Back then, this is now 1999-ish. Um, and that book became the foundation to a business that I grew. One side of it was a coaching business that grew to a $25 million a year coaching business with over 175 employees in three offices. And then a publishing arm of that business where we got to a place where we were spending about $150,000, $160,000 a week on paid media between uh, pay-per-click, between uh, magazines, radio, and TV, right? And then I was fortunate. That was your publishing Yeah, the publishing arm. arm. So there was By the coaching. Itself. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So publishing uh, or the coaching did, you know, 25 some million a year. And then the, uh, the publishing was an eight figure business. And then I set the stage. I had a health crisis and ended up in a hospital wake up call. I don't know if you, you can tell or we've talked about it, but I have type A personality traits for sure mm-hmm. and hard charging traits and would, you know, had at the time given up a lot to really go build my babies, build my businesses and let go of my health. And I ended up in a hospital for four days, have a heart procedure, scared the hell out of me. And that ultimately is why I decided to sell those two businesses. I, I mean, how, how old were you at that time? You're still pretty... Yeah, mid-30s. Uh, right? Yeah, yeah, mid-30s. Mid-30s, yes. Yeah. I mean, going under the knife for something in your heart in your mid-30s is nothing short of a wake-up call. That is for sure. Yes. And I had a two-year-old daughter. 
Ah. And I had a son and literally when I ended up in the hospital, it was a handful of weeks after he had been born. Wow. And I, you know, number one, I wanted to be there. And number two, I wanted to be there as a dad. Yeah. That really waned on me. And I had a coach at the time where, you know, she, she got me to do an exercise, Travis, that I still use to this day to make choices of yes, like I do this, a lot of other things, three key questions, you know, what do I want? You know, selfishly, she says, you got to be selfish so you can help others. And when I struggled at at answering the question, what do I want? She says, no, you cannot help people the way you're called to help people if you can't get clear on what you want, not what everybody else wants, not what the world wants, not what your wife wants, not what your kids want. What do you want? And she was she was tough on me to really get clarity on on the what do you want? Mm. Then she said, the next question is, who are you? And I remember the first time I did, I started putting out labels, titles, all these accomplishment type things. And she's like, no, 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 not human doing things, human being things. If I ask your kids, who are you? What are they going to tell me? If I ask your best friends, who are you? What are they going to tell me? And then what are you going to tell me about your, you as a human being Mm. that you represent? What are your characteristics? What are your qualities? And then the third is, what do you stand for? And, you know, she says, you know, Dan, you probably have a vision or or a uh, values uh, you have values in your business, right? She's like, yep, I knew it. Do you have values for your own life? You know, no, I never thought of it. She says, well, let's now think of it. So what do you stand for, Dan Cushel? Mm. And she got me to get that clarity. And that is now like literally the compass because like, Travis, you, you and I both know this, right? There's a lot of people in our space, their front stage world and their backstage world. <sighs> misaligned, yeah. Misaligned, disconnected, all this sort of stuff. And so yeah. she that was also a key part of like, of us, of what she helped me do so that it wasn't separate anymore, that it could be together, Mm. right? That the front stage and the backstage, like I just got back from a trip for five days with my wife. I actually got invited to a bunch of Super Bowl stuff. We we attended a, you know, a a little bit of stuff as it relates to the Super Bowl uh, that just passed. But there were things I said no to, like I had a chance to go like meet Snoop Dogg and Adam Sandler and all these big celebrity names. I don't want to name drop. It's not my style. But all these like, and being like a private party, probably less than 70 people at one time. And my wife and I said, no, because we weren't going to drop. We had already set up some tours and some different things that we set up for our trip. Mm. And I wasn't going to just let that go to be a celebrity chaser because it's just, it's not who I, it didn't fit. It didn't fit in the values structure of those three questions. And so it's refreshing when you can build your own freedom and define what that freedom is. And that's what, you know, my coach had given me a a gift that I still carry today. And ideally, hopefully as we're sharing it with you, hopefully you can see that as a gift for you too. If you're struggling at all with like overwhelm or feeling burnout or like, is this all there is? Or, and I've done all of this, but like, what else is there? Right. Mm. Those three questions can bring a ton of clarity. Uh, super helpful, man. Especially that that part about the values thing. It's something that we're realizing a lot more lately. Uh, and we, we have a couple small kids um, at the moment. And whenever that happens, your life just starts getting all shuffled up and you start asking yourself questions that you didn't really ask yourself before. And coming up with our our chapel family values was something that was really important for us when when we uh, when we had the kids. So I really appreciate you kind of diving into that because if you don't get that stuff right, everything else is going to falter. And even if it doesn't, even if you somehow can escape the fog of your own mind and focus on your business and do really well with it, what's the purpose at that point? Where, where, where are you gonna? What are you, you going to do? 
uh, or how happy are you going to be? How fulfilled are you going to be? Doesn't matter what car you're driving. Doesn't matter what house you're living in. If at the end of the day, you don't feel good about the life that you're living. So I really appreciate you bringing that stuff up. So, okay. So uh, seven figure business, early twenties, learn a lot of lessons, build a multi eight figure company. You spend a lot of money on advertising, exit 35, heart surgery, next step of the journey for you. What happens then? Yeah. So I took essentially a couple years off. And I got for you. to a degree bored playing golf <laughs> a couple of days a week. And, you know, I, I got to a place, Travis, where I like to build things. In fact, I love to build things. I don't just like it. I love to build stuff. And so, you know, I had some people who I was you know working with who said, Dan, you ought to like just show people how to do what you did. Built multiple eight-figure businesses and you exited two of those businesses. Granted, you crashed a couple. But people are going to respect the fact that you tell them that you crashed a couple and then built some very successful ones. Mm-hmm. Why don't you show them your blueprints? And so um, I started working with some private clients. We're a boutique business. You know, we're not an agency. We're not a coaching business. We're re- literally come in as a strategic growth partner for clients. Right today, almost kind of like a virtual CMO. Yeah, exactly. So actual virtual CMO, Travis. And virtual CEO, right? Because I've also found that, like, I have this unicorn thing where I exited two companies that were eight-figure businesses, and they just happened to be in publishing and, and media, which a lot of people seem to struggle with getting traffic to their business and conversions, as well as actually running the business and building something that can scale profitably, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we come in as a virtual CMO and CEO type service, and then help move chess pieces around to you know essentially grow three to ten x with a lot less stress, a lot less headaches, avoid the landmines, a lot, lot, avoid the traps that I learned over the years, uh, as well as get free from the day-to-day, right? And then get a system. Like that's what we deliver is essentially a system for their sales and a system for their marketing so they can get free from the day-to-day and have steady clients coming in every single day. And we've been doing this now for about 10 years. And you mentioned a handful of the clients we, we work with. We typically only work with about 12 to 15 private clients at a given time. And I think a lot of clients love the fact that we take the risk off the table because we're performance driven. Like our highest value client has paid us over a million dollars as a business because we've helped them grow by over 10 million. So we're not a cost, we're free. And like we feel that we should be free to our clients. Now, granted, it's structured, you know, with some fees plus the performance bonus. Sure. Sure. And at the end of the day, though, it's set up for everyone, clients to win or us to win and their clients to win. And we get we get a lot of you know joy out of helping others. You know, we've had multiple clients as well who had a desire where they wanted to sell. And in the last, I don't know, two, 18 months or so, we've had two or three of our clients where we were able to help them build the model system, give them that guidance and assistance to set the stage to also then sell, because we also have a couple of strategic partners we work with where we can get them placed. In fact, one of our private clients helps companies sell. And they're fantastic. We have two or three sources because not everybody fits one thing, but we can help get them connected to you know companies and groups where they can go sell their businesses too, which is a lot of fun. So I've been having a blast doing that for you know 10 years plus. Another one of my passions is actually again sports. And although it's not baseball, I love coaching young men. And one of the best team sports I believe in the world is actually football. And so I'm also a high school football coach. Nice. Um, yeah, we transitioned from youth to high school over the last five years, but you know that's almost like a full time thing as well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so. awesome. Well, I, I want to get I want to get a little practical tactical here with you. I know we yeah. only have a few minutes left. 
So I'd like to use it to kind sure. of speak about some specific things here. You know, you've obviously spent a lot of money over the years advertising and marketing, but I'm curious to hear from you as also wearing the CEO hat, where are most businesses messing up in terms of the holistic view of their business? You have, you know, financial arm and you have sales and you have marketing and you have operations and you have all these different kinds of categories. Where are people messing up the most? Why do 90 plus percent of businesses fail? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a few factors, right? And I think statistics show that over 70, 70% of businesses don't make it 10 years, you know, according to the US Department of Labor. And it's unfortunate. You know, there's a lot of businesses who have great ideas, they have great products and services. And what I think the big mistake, Travis, and there might be layers to this answer, of course, of course, is, um, is they truly don't take the time to focus more on their clients than they do their thing, their product and their service. And what I mean is most of the clients we work with, some of the, and, and some of these are the biggest, and I won't mention specific names and issues of this, but even some of the biggest names in the world oftentimes find themselves getting attached to their thing, product or service, whatever that thing is. And when we go to them and we ask them something simple like, Hey, you've built this business. You're, you might even be doing well already. Might be very successful to from the outside looking in and go. Do you have some sort of marketing plan blueprint? Like, what problem or problems do you solve? What are the biggest complaints your clients have? What keeps them up at night? Where are your top most affluent clients hanging out? What are your top most affluent clients reading on a regular basis, online and off? And, and there's a few other uh, you know, elements of that. But Travis, I don't know if it would shock you or not, but I'm not kidding when I say almost 100% of the campaigns or situations we go into with a client, even these higher level clients, they don't have anything. It's all stuck in their head. Mm. And when it's stuck in our head or in our heart, it serves that business to a degree. But if they ever want to get free, we got to move it from their head and their heart into like basically a blueprint. Mm. Or others to get on the same page, like team members, like you know, being able to buy media, being able to have other people who can replace you. Yeah. If you never yeah. become a replaceable founder because it's all in your head and in your heart, there's no system, there's no real system there. And one of the key elements of selling any business or even getting free and exiting day-to-day stuff in it is making yourself replaceable and having a system, right? Mm. You know, that that is probably the biggest thing. Uh, is really being in tune at a deep level. In fact, the uh, uh, Small Business Administration, I think it was 2017, said, you know, they've got five things of why most businesses fail, why they fail, right? So there's the statistic that shows how many fail, but then like why they fail. Do you know that the number one reason, Travis, is the fact that most business owners don't have a marketing plan blueprint or one that's current? Really? Things change. Like think about how things have changed in our market in the last, you know, couple of years with with what's gone on in the, you know, in the world, right? With health issues and all these sorts of things, depending on when you're seeing this or hearing it. And more important is if you go, hey, do you have a marketing plan blueprint? Almost a hundred percent of people we survey and the clients will is a no. And then if they have anything that kind of resembles a document, a working, living, breathing system document that actually spells out their plan. It's not updated. Like it's seven years old or five years old, or you can't keep up. How can you keep up with that? It's got to, it's got to be an evolving, living, breathing kind of thing. And that's the starting point, not to mention what you might have in like an actual sales system or the actual marketing pieces. But until that's late, it's like 
a building on sand with no foundation, right? Yeah. It'd be crazy to do. Anyway, so if I had to pick like that one domino, it's getting to know your clients at a deep level, right? So domino, one yeah. domino can tip over a thousand when you got that founder. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So understanding your market and yes. having a living document that portrays what that market is, what yes. their problems are and things like that. And then I assume next would be really clarity on the offer how you come in and solve the problems that your market is experiencing and how you package that and charge for it and things like that. Yeah. And there's, you know, layers, layers of that, of course, of, of being able to, here's a quick, simple exercise that, you know, we call this the mom. Everybody loves mom, right? Everybody loves their mom. So you've got your message, you've got your offer and you've got your model, right? So I'm going to just go, go through a quick exercise that may give you a, you know, there's more to this, but this is a starting point where it kind of works with all three of those elements. So, you know, and I'll, and I'll do it with a story. You know, there's a guy that most people may know by now. He got involved in the most commoditized business that you could ever get involved in, the coffee business years ago. And he came into that niche look or that industry looking at things maybe just a little bit differently. And Sally Hogshead has a great quote, Travis, you probably know, which is it's better to be different than better. Now, my belief is actually, why not do both? Be different and better. And yeah. that's some good exponential type of stuff. So with that, when he came into his market, you know, we call this the four parts of your MO, your mode of operation. So the first is what is your unique market, right? So the first one is unique market. He got clear on his market and he niched down to go up and get more. Most people think when they niche down, they're going down and shrinking, not growing. He's one of the smartest, most brilliant marketing minds today. And he says, when I niche down, I expand, I don't shrink. So what did he do? 
in that coffee business, he said, okay, what is my unique market? Only fitness enthusiasts who drink coffee. Mm. Only fitness. Never been done before. He did it. Now, a lot of copycats since, but he was the first one to narrow down to that degree in this mega billion dollar, multi-billion dollar industry coffee, where there's thousands of competitors. He walked in, fitness enthusiasts drink. Next layer, unique message. What is his unique map or message? Message got real clear, very succinct. He says, get fit drinking coffee. Well, holy cow, who knew you could get fit while you drank coffee? Who knew that? I didn't know that. I don't drink coffee to this day, but I got to tell you, when I first heard him articulate that message, it made me curious. And I actually tried the coffee. Not that it's, I just don't like coffee. Yeah. But it got me someone who's not into coffee, curious enough to go, let me explore this and let me drink some. Right. Right. That's what a good, a unique message will do. It'll take people unaware, sometimes even uninterested and make them interested. For those who are already in and it's your niche, it flips people or tips them off the scale done right, which is what he did. His unique method, by the way, he's like, okay, what is my unique method that helps people get fit when they drink it and is to fitness enthusiasts who like to drink it? Hmm. Oh, my unique method is something that's been around for thousands of years that dates back to ancient times. Is it butter? Indian heritage. Add grass-fed butter to, to your food or your drinks. In his case, add it to coffee, right? So you already know, you're picking up what I'm laying down and where <laughs> the story of who this is. Unique method. See, you don't even have to invent the method. You just have to claim it. Dan Sullivan says, those who name the game, own the game. Mm. Name your game and own it. You can do it if you think about this. And I'll, and I'll circle back and share with you these four elements so you can take this ideally and you can start putting your version of this together. Again, there's more to this. We literally spend a day, you know, when we start working with a client to unpackage this, to really narrow this down to help our clients hit home runs. Like we want home runs. We don't want sinks. Uh, not that they're bad, but we love home runs. So we're swinging for the fences. So unique method, right? Now the unique offer. What is his unique offer? Now it just happened to be that his unique offer is also the name of the brand, which at the time now it's transcended beyond that, you know, multiple years later, but it started as one and only bulletproof coffee. Founder's name is Dave Asprey. Again, one of the smartest marketing minds in the world. So as you're watching or listening right now, how can you translate this? I would encourage you to kind of follow this pattern, come back to this episode, listen to it a few different times. Listen to what Dave's versions of this were and are, right? As he built built a, his business, to my knowledge, uh, Travis, you probably know this. You might even know better statistics. I believe this past year, twenty, uh, this past year that we we went through, a hundred million for the year. Wow! It started with this, right? So, as you're watching or listening, what what I encourage you to do: pen out your unique market and get really crystal clear. I encourage you hard. I know it's it's counterintuitive. It's not comfortable. I fought it for years and years and years. Narrow down so you can actually attract more, right? Uh, And also think about it. Who makes more, generalists or specialists? So if you're a specialist to a market, even people not necessarily can be attracted to you because they see you as a specialist and not a generalist. Mm. Food for thought. Unique message, narrow your message, right? Really focus. What is the problem I solve for my clients? And who are they? So in his case, fitness enthusiasts who drank coffee in the market, how does he do it? Get fit. So that's the problem. Unfit becomes fit. How? Drinking coffee. Get fit drinking coffee. So how could you create something so simple 
and impossible to be misunderstood in your message. Right now, what do you do with it? Now you put it everywhere. And here's another litmus test of failure we see. We got people go, here's my message. I'm clear on my... And then we go to their website. It's nowhere on their website. Mm. Nowhere on a landing page. Nowhere in a document. Nowhere in a lead magnet. Nowhere on video. No, it might They might have it or be close, but they're not really leveraging it. So that's the other part is starting to leverage these things properly. Third, what is your unique method? Come up with a name of a method that helps you brand your business, while at the same time, ideally, it's speaking to the solution you provide solving the problem your clients have. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot to that. I'm going through this very fast in 10 minutes, and normally we can spend hours. But again, I hope you get some real takeaway value as you're watching or listening to this right now. And then lastly, name your unique offer, right? What is your offer? So it's what is your unique market? What's your unique message? What's your unique method to deliver the promise? And then what is your unique offer? And that gives you the framework to really tune into a better, more quality, even better message, an even better offer that speaks to your perfect audience and also your actual unique program and model that ties in. Well, that is a perfect place to start wrapping up the conversation uh, because got a little bit of personal stuff, got a little bit of practical, tactical stuff. And uh, man, if you take exactly what Dan just went over and you've never gone through any of those exercises, I promise you it's going to make a world of difference inside of your business. Um, yeah, this is Build Your Network. We talk a lot about relationships here. And so the one question that I got to ask you before we sign off, who you know or what you know? And which of those two is the more important asset in life and why? Who you know, by far. And let me speak to a damaging confession. It was far more transactional, Travis. I chased money and opportunity hard, right? And yeah, there were times I was probably pretty ruthless to some of my partners, vendors, even clients in the early years. And then I started, that was another shift that I made personally, because I started to realize the value of relationship capital. Right. You can take all the money in the world. You can take all the business stuff in the world away. And if you don't have relationships, you don't have anything. Yeah. Right. You can always get money back. You can always get business assets back. What you can't get back because you know it takes years and years, decades sometimes to build a great reputation. You can lose it in about five minutes. Yeah. Literally with a bad choice, bad decision. And I've made made them. I've made mistakes at it. I had, you know, what I would consider to some degree, some hard roads to kind of repave because of those mistakes. So by far, relationship capital will always pay you exponentially. And having not a transactional approach, oh, how many sales, how much, how big, how fast, but rather take the long, long approach, the long approach. In fact, in our model, direct response branding, part of that, Travis, is, is the focus on building a, a buyer's model slash buyer's culture instead of a selling culture. It's my belief that companies who continue outdated practices, like outdated marketing, marketing, traditional marketing is completely obsolete today. Traditional selling is obsolete today from a, all kinds of layers. We don't have time because we're wrapping this up, but just if you really look at it, what is the new model is moving from a selling culture, selling model to a buyer's model. Well, what are some great examples? The number one company in the world today is not a selling culture. It's not a seller's model. It's a buyer's model. Mm. Now there's science and art. And that's part of what we do when we can work with our clients today is install that system to help build that buyer's culture and stay away from something outdated or, you know, very soon companies that are in selling cultures. And, and Travis, I'm sure you've seen, I've seen, you know, people come and go, businesses go, come and go, come and go, come and go. If we look under the hood and go, oh, they were a selling model, selling culture heavily. They didn't pivot and they didn't pivot to the buyer's culture like an apple, 
like a Starbucks mm. and that, you know, like an Amazon. Those are buyers' cultures, but they're built by design, not by accident. And here's the best part tech today, as you know, Travis, allows the little guy, like even the small business running a shop by themselves or a business by themselves or running a little brick and mortar with three people and they have zero marketing experience. If you just know the right pieces to move on a chessboard, you can build this pre much easier than most people have been led to believe. Yeah. Yeah. Without risking literally any money or very little. So um, yeah, relationship capital all the way. Transformational, long-term, buyer's culture, buyer's model uh, will set you free. Awesome stuff, Dan. I can't wait to get some feedback on this episode. I know people are really going to enjoy it. Before we take off, uh, what's the one place that you want to send listeners to if they want to get a little bit more from Dan Cushell? Sure. Real simple. We've put together a uh, small business toolkit for free. So if you're watching or listening and some of this has compelled you and you're like, wow, I'd love to make my business even better. I know I get a lot with Travis and his community here. We put together this small business toolkit real quick. You know, if you're an introvert or you're someone who's, uh, you consider yourself, you know, not like wanting to be high pressure sales, we put a checklist together. It's actually the checklist that we were able to take customer service people in our company and turn them into high performers. We're going to give you that checklist. It's called how to sell more by selling less, essentially casual conversations for conversion. Uh, We also put together, and I still have it on my wall. I built many of these tools as initial tools in my businesses about 20 years ago. And they've evolved, of course, but one of them is called the CEO checklist. It's really geared for someone who's not like your traditional CEO administrative types. So it's like literally I have the checklist up here. Why? Because I want to know what I need to be doing from that perspective, from a management perspective as a good CEO. Like what do I need to be doing daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and annually? And make sure you know the checkboxes don't lie. Uh, we also have a checklist. If you want your, we talked about the marketing plan blueprint. If you want a simple marketing plan blueprint to get started and uses like your universal doc forever and more, we're going to give you a marketing plan blueprint that you can put in your hands. Uh, and then on top of that, we've got a productivity tool that, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of people who've gone through it have said has made a world of difference. So if you want to get access to those tools and more, you can go to activate.breakthrough3x.com. That's activate.breakthrough3x.com. Get the small business toolkit and you can choose your path as well. Oh, one other tool in there. If you've ever struggled hiring part-time, full-time VAs, any of those sort sort of things, you know, one of the things we've been able to do for over 20 years, we had a I had a hiring system, Travis, for a marketing system for hiring, uh, essentially. And I went from doing a lot of one-on-one interviews and wasting a lot of time to actually have an assistant a system set up. So we're gonna give you the eight-step system that you can model and put in place in your business. And uh, you can get that activate.breakthrough3x activate.breakthrough3x.com. Some of the stuff that Dan puts together and gives away for free, other people are charging like tens of thousands of dollars for. So please take him up on this activate.breakthrough3x.com. Let's go download some of these free tools and then reach out to Dan, tell him what's up, tell him you heard about him here on the show and thank him for his time. Dan, thanks so much for taking the time out. This is a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you, Travis. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.